Count the Crows, Episode 1 The Brass Tiger Welcome to Bumblesee's personal sleep recorder. First, we'll set up a new account for you. What is your name? Oh, um, Stephanie Morris? Welcome! Oh, um, Stephanie Morris? Why are you using our service today? My wife, well, it's a queer platonic relationship, actually. We got married to con the government into giving us more money for college. They're demisexual and I'm asexual, so we figured it was a good plan. One thing led to another, and now we both graduate and we both decided that we'd rather stay together still, because, you know, we really just couldn't imagine a life without each other. I love them so much. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling. You're a robot. You don't care. I bought the recorder because Jenny said that I'd started saying weird things in my sleep, and I figured that if I was recording myself, then we could go back to it to try and see uh, if there's a problem or something. As of the moment, we're sleeping in our respective rooms, which is fine, of course. That's why we have respective rooms. But some nights I'd really rather be cuddling with them because I just feel safer and I just really love them, you know? And if I'm still keeping them up with weird talking, that won't happen as often. Sleep apnea diagnosis selected. Is this correct? I mean, no. Thank you for selecting sleep apnea diagnosis. We will monitor your sleep accordingly. That's not... Finally, during what time are you usually asleep? It really varies. Sometimes I'm asleep as early as 6 and as late as 9. 6 p.m. to 9 a.m. selected. Is this correct? I guess... My sleep schedule is really out of whack, especially with my job. You know, I'm a forensic investigator and sometimes I have to get out late to help out at a crime scene or, you know, which means I'll sleep odd hours. Okay, thank you for choosing Bumblesies. We really appreciate your patronage. I guess that's that then? 7.12 p.m. Activity detected. <laughs> Look, we should both be getting to bed. Oh, come on, you have to admit that it was fun. That movie is ancient. Come on, it's the first modern zombie movie. It established so many rules that zombie movies to this day follow. Like, the wolfman pulled some ridiculous lore together into one creature, creating something new. The modern werewolf spread through bites and affected by silver. Zombies are something that have been in our culture for centuries, especially if you count things like the initial vampire myths, which describe them as flesh-eating, bloated corpses. I mean, on the topic of vampires, Dracula also solidified a whole new type of vampire legend. But Night of the Living Dead brought zombies into the popular culture of the time. Plus, it was commentary on political and social issues of the time, even if those things were mostly unintentional. And I thought I was the one with the degree in folklore and mythology. Sorry, I got excited. No, no, it's fine. I actually don't know a lot of the movie lore. I just thought it was funny. Oh, okay. Seriously, though, if I start annoying you, just tell me to stop. It's fine, kitten. I'd love to hear you talk about the things you're passionate about, but my point still stands. I've got an early morning out at the college, and I know full well that you won't get to sleep for another six hours if you don't at least start winding down now. Hey, that's not fair. We've been married for how long? Six years? I know if you go look at a screen right now, it'll be at least 1am before you get to sleep. Fine, I'll go to bed. But, oh, oh no, oh, they're coming to get you, Barbara.
<laughs> Stop that. That guy gets the lamest death in the movie. My wife deserves better than getting her head bashed on a gravestone inconvincingly. Rawr! <laughs> Go to sleep, you nerd. Read for a bit, maybe. Alright, alright, time for bed. Whose turn is it to have Mojito? Yours, I think. Lit! Mojito! Time for bed, girl. Yes, I know it's early. Blame your mother. Aren't we both her mother? Ah, she knows the difference. All right, all right. Good night, kitten. Good night, love. Seven fifteen p.m. Activity ends. Recording saved. Nine oh one p.m. Activity detected. Mojito, go back to sleep. 9.02 p.m. Activity ends. Recording saved. 3 a.m. Activity detected. Cassidy Jameson is alone. It is the middle of the night, and she has just gotten out of a meeting involving the new production being put on by the Tsunami Community Theater, who had graciously allowed her class to use their facilities for their group projects. She, being the writer in her college group, was expected to be at every meeting to propose adjustments to the script. It is unfortunate for her, and her sleep schedule, that it's pretty much impossible to get a group together during normal hours. It was a simple story following the classic hero's journey format involving a young student in ancient Constantinople, facing numerous challenges and overcoming them one by one. She's not particularly fond of this script, and as she has had to attend more of these meetings, she likes it less and less. It had started as a historically grounded tale, but the other members of her group decided that it wasn't exciting enough, meaning mythical creatures that didn't even exist in that region's mythos were being included. A thunderbird summoning a storm to deter the protagonist from crossing the ocean was hardly realistic. She sighs, exasperated. She was always warned about traveling alone at night, and those warnings are starting to put pressure on her mind. She looks around, hoping to ease her worries, and notices a brass statue of a Bengal tiger, rampant. It shines in the lamplight, and she smiles at its outstretched paws. She'd always liked cats. Cassidy Jameson is not alone. A figure emerges from the alley next to the massive theater, a silhouette in the darkness. She can hear their footsteps coming from behind her, and she quickly adjusts her keys between her fingers to serve as a rudimentary set of brass knuckles. She can feel her heartbeat begin to quicken. She's only three blocks from home. She can make it. She knows she can make it. She ups her pace to a brisk walk. Her breaths are becoming more shallow, and she's getting lightheaded. She knows, logically, that leading a potentially dangerous figure to her place of residence is not wise and could lead to her death. However, she also knows that the theater was locked up as soon as her group left, and all of them are well on their way home. She doesn't live far from the theater, and is still too embarrassed to let her group know she can't drive, so she just walks. She regrets not asking for a ride now. Th this isn't working. She pretends to check her phone, and can see the figure still following her in the black surface of the screen. She stumbles on a crack in the sidewalk and curses. She speeds up again, to make up for lost time. Two more blocks to home. She can make it. 
She watches the trees that are planted along the sidewalk. She imagines the branches are long fingers, ready to reach out and grasp an unsuspecting victim. She shudders. She can feel her heart moving so quickly it almost feels numb in her chest. The keys are starting to dig into her palm. One more block, the one next to the park. She thinks that, if she has to, she can sprint across the field and attempt to lose him. She can make it. Then, Cassidy Jameson notices something. Odd. The park is usually empty at this time of night, but there's a second figure there, dressed in a long, white dress, glowing in the dim lamplight. It wears white gloves, and its long, dark hair obscures its bowed head. She looks back and sees the man, now illuminated, wearing a black turtleneck and dark cargo pants. He's holding his hand next to him with his pockets, and she thinks she can see a glint of metal sticking out of it. She calls out, choosing to take her chances with this stranger in the park rather than the one still walking steadily behind her. Hey! It turns, and she sees the shadowy shapes emerge from beneath its skirts. As they take flight, she realizes they are crows. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. She hears a scream behind her, distracting her from the figure in the park just momentarily. When she looks back, the figure and its crows are gone. And, as she turns to the man behind her, now disheveled and frightened, laying in a circle of lamplight, the concealed knife now drawn. Four tears have appeared in his turtleneck, revealing his bloodied skin beneath. A dark shadow begins pooling beneath his form, and she hears a deep but somehow tinny growl being emitted from the shadows still encompassing the street. She remembers a story told by the theater's stage crew that the tiger statue in front of the theater was haunted. Something about an old circus whose master abused the animals, who finally got his comeuppance from the very tiger depicted. The tiger, of course, was put down after killing a human being. Something she thinks is abhorrent, but it's not like she can do anything about it at this point. Supposedly, the tiger still haunts the statue, ready to kill those who would hurt the innocent others like it was hurt. She puts a little stock into anything she is told by those in the theater industry. They're some of the most superstitious people she's ever met. But in this moment, she lets herself believe. Cassidy Jameson runs. She can hear a mixture of screams and growls and chooses not to look. This is not something she wants to witness. She slams into her door and begins quickly sifting through her keys to find the one that unlocks it. She manages to open it, rushes inside, and slams it behind her. She quickly locks the lock on the doorknob, following it immediately with a thunk of the deadbolt. Her cat, already waiting just inside, begins purring as she slides down, putting a face into her hands. Cassidy Jameson cries. Her cat rubs against her face, sticking loose hairs into the wet spots on her cheeks. She laughs quietly, letting it try to cheer her up. And then she stands, checks the locks on her windows to ensure no one unauthorized by her could get inside, and grabs a large knife from the kitchen, curling up on the couch, too scared to sleep in her bedroom away from the front door where she might sleep through its opening and let an intruder inside. She falls into a fitful sleep, uncertain of where the next day will take her. Three fifteen AM 
Activity ends and recording. Recording. Recording deleted. Thank you for using Bumblezy's personal sleep recorder. 8 a.m. Activity detected. What's that? Hey, I heard you narrating or something in there last night. Everything okay? I mean, I feel fine. It's probably nothing. Alright, just making sure you do love to screw around with things best left alone. Don't worry, it's all fake. I'm sure it's just stress. Love you. Love you too. 8.01 AM. Activity ends. Recording saved. Count the Crows is written and produced by Lindsay Dunbar. Thank you for listening to Count the Crows. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow or leave a review, and be sure to tell your friends. For a production this small, word of mouth is the most efficient form of advertising. If you're interested, please follow us at Tactician Press on Instagram for updates. Seriously, thank you. And remember, anything that can be imagined can be brought to reality. Use this power wisely.